You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Comes from John chapter 15, 18 through to 16, verse 6. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. So if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. Thanks, Yvette. Uh, please keep your Bibles open to John 15. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the other, well, I'm the other pastor, one of the pastors here at DPC. Uh, it's great to see you all here today. Uh, I'm going to pray. I'm also going to pray uh, for my voice. I'm recovering from a cold, so I'll just pray that uh, my voice holds out. Let's talk to God. Uh, Thanks for the privilege of opening up your word and studying it together. Uh, Father, we pray that you would speak uh, into our hearts, speak through me, uh, so that we would know you and your son better uh, by the power of your spirit. And I pray that you would help my voice uh, to to get through this sermon. Amen. Hate is a very strong word. That's what my parents would say to my brother and I whenever we said that we hated someone. We'd come home from a bad day at primary school and we'd say, we hate Shane and Russell. They were brothers at our school and we had a kind of up and down friendship with them. And mum and dad would say, well, hate is a very strong word. To which we would reply, okay, we dislike them immensely. Now, my parents were encouraging us to not harbour such intense emotions against fellow human beings. And so my brother and I thought that we were very clever by rebranding our hatred as immense dislike. But my parents' words have stuck with me. Hate is a very strong word. And so it's somewhat alarming that Jesus uses that word in this passage that we're looking at today. He says that Christians will be hated. Now we all know that there's a lot of hatred out there. Uh, We just... Think about the angry emoji on Facebook. We can express our outrage, our frustration or our immense dislike 
about a post with just a click of the button. And other platforms have a dislike button. The internet is loaded with hate-filled comments. And these are sometimes targeted towards Christians and the church. Yet, I expect that many of us here today would say that our daily experience as a Christian is not one of enduring hatred day after day. You know, sure, we we may have some tense moments, we have awkward run-ins with people, but hate? That's a very strong word. And that's kind of the point. In this final meal, in Jesus' final meal with his apostles, he uses that word and the explanation of it to prepare them for the difficult times ahead. There would be times of peace and popularity, but not always. And so as we listen in, I want us to think about what it means to be hated as a Christian. So this is not a sermon about conflict between Christians or in the church. This is not a sermon about how to deal with your own anger or feelings of hate. I'm more more than happy to speak to you about those topics later on if you want to. But this sermon is about why unbelievers will hate us, what it might look like and how we can stand strong when it comes. Because when it does come, it can surprise us, it can catch us off guard. It can leave us wondering whether we've actually done something to deserve this. It can maybe lead to a strong sense of injustice that somehow this shouldn't happen to God's people. Or we might even have a sense that perhaps God has abandoned us. We need to think about this topic so we know how to face hatred when it comes. So let's kick off by looking at the passage. We'll look at Jesus' words in verses 18 to 19 of John chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Why does the world hate Christians? We see two reasons. And the first one here is because we belong to Jesus, who they hate. Now, what does that word world actually mean? Here's a useful definition by Josh Moody. He's written a commentary on John 13 and 21 in the God's Word for You series. He says this, The world in John's Gospel is the human order of society and its constituent individual human members who are in rebellion against God. Some would use a mask of religion to cover up that rebellion. Others adopt an apparently confident self-righteousness. Others have a more brazen attitude of devil-may-care, greed and power covetousness. But all are the world, the world in rebellion against God. So what unites people under the umbrella term the world is not shared practices or convictions, but rather a shared posture of rebellion rebellion towards God. And so this encompasses non-religious people, but also varieties of religious people. Uh, Mean people and nice people, conservatives, progressives, if they don't love God, then they are part of the world. And so this posture can express itself in many ways, but one of the expressions that Jesus mentions here is hatred to those who are no longer part of the world. We'll talk about Jesus' experience of that hatred later on, because what we need to understand first is that 
Belonging to Jesus as a Christian means we no longer belong to the world. John 13 verse 1 tells us that Jesus loved his own who were in the world. Yet in chapter 15 verse 19 he says to his apostles, I've chosen you out of the world. So they were still in the world, but they were no longer of the world. Even though they physically lived in the world, they belonged to the heavenly realm and they had a new spiritual allegiance. They were reorientated towards God. And and these apostles, they did nothing to prove themselves worthy of this or to earn this status. Rather, Jesus chose them. He called them and they followed. Well, all of them, that is, except for Judas, who's already left the meal by this stage to side with the forces of evil. And so for these 11 apostles, and indeed for all Christians who have been chosen by Jesus and brought out of the world, there should be an expectation of receiving hatred because we belong to Jesus. Have a look at verse 20 in your Bibles. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Jesus is referring back to his words in chapter 13. Remember how he washed his disciples' feet? Then he commanded them to humbly serve one another like that? And he backed it up by saying, Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. And then later in that same chapter, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So there's a link here. The master sets the expectation for the servants. If the master humbly serves other people, then his own servants should humbly serve too. And by showing love to one another in this way, everyone will see that the servants belong to the master. The world will see that Christians belong to Jesus. Yet, this will bring persecution. Because just as Jesus was hated by the world, so too his followers will be hated by the world. So Christians are commanded to love one another because we belong to Jesus, but this very act will identify us as believers and thus incite hatred against us. And it's worth mentioning at this point that when Jesus says, if the world hates you, He's not saying it was an uncertain possibility, you know, maybe it will happen, maybe it won't, we'll just have to see. Rather, he means when the world hates you. It won't always happen, but it surely will at some point. But why is it that people will hate us for belonging to Jesus? Well, that leads to the second answer. The world hates Christians because they hate the Father who they don't know. Have a look at verse 21. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. It's not just that Christians bear the name of Jesus, but that we point people to the God that they don't really know. This is revealed by how the Jews mistreated Jesus. Have a look at verses 22 and 23 of John 15. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. 
So Jesus spoke the truth to the Jews and many of those Jews rejected him and revealed that those particular Jews belong to the world and are now without excuse. It's not that they were sinless before that. Rather, when God judges them in the future for their sinful rebellion against their creator, they won't be able to claim that they weren't aware of the truth, that nobody came and pointed it out for them. Well, we read on in verse 24. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. So it's not just Jesus' words, but also his works, his miracles, that incited hatred from these Jews. His miracles revealed his identity to them, and rather than worship him and trust in him, they attacked him and opposed him. And so this demonstrates that they don't know God, the Father who sent him. Now, if you're following on the outline, you'll see there's some references there that you can look up later with some of these incidents with Jesus. But ultimately, what we see is that the Jews persecuted Jesus without legitimate cause, which is why he quotes from the Psalms in verse 25. But this is to fulfil what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. Even today, people will hate Jesus and his followers when they are challenged on their false views about God. Let me just pause here for a moment. Because perhaps like me, you're still finding this word hate pretty strong. I mean, perhaps you're even here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you also wouldn't say that you hate everyone in this room. And if that's you, thank you for listening so far. I imagine this is a bit awkward to listen to. Now, I know that before I became a believer, I wouldn't have said that I hated Christians. It's not like I roamed around my hometown looking for church people to beat up. And when I started university and I met Christians, it's not like I said mean things to them or spat at them or mocked them. But, you know, as I think about it, there, there were times when they said or did things that annoyed me. I didn't like all those posters about Jesus that were up around the campus because I felt like religion was something private that people should keep to themselves and not make public, not put in people's faces. As I got to know some of the Christians at my residential college, I didn't like how they were so black and white on issues of morality. And one of them gave me a Bible to read. So, of course, I looked up all the passages on sex to confirm that they had outdated views on that topic. And that made me even more annoyed. I remember talking to a high school friend about you know, how it's fine for Christians to have their views, but why do they have to tell others what to think? I didn't hate Christians, but I hated some of the things they did. And I found myself feeling confronted by Jesus and the God that sent him. Now, obviously, God worked in my heart, otherwise I wouldn't be here today. I did become a Christian. But I share my experience to help us all see that hatred towards Christians comes down to the clash between how I think the world should be the way I think it is, and the way God, the creator, reveals the world to be. You see, everyone has an idea about God or perhaps a higher power or a higher purpose that gives shape and meaning to our lives. Everyone has an idea of what's wrong with the world and how we should fix it. Everyone has an idea of morality and virtue. 
And Jesus challenges those ideas. He tells us that God is the maker who owns us. And we don't like that. Jesus tells us that God dictates what's right and wrong. And we don't like that. He tells us that we are sinners and we need forgiveness. We definitely don't like that. And he tells us the, the only way to be forgiven is to have faith in Jesus and to not trust in our own efforts. And well, we absolutely don't like that. And so our resistance against these ideas may not always be expressed in words and deeds of hate, but there will be hatred deep within so that when we're confronted by God, we think to ourselves, how dare you? Sometimes that feeling will be pushed aside so we can kind of ignore it or feign indifference, but other times it will well up into words and deeds that might be maybe not described as hateful, but would certainly not be loving. And they may very well be targeted against Christians because, well, they are God's people on earth. That's why we need Jesus. It's because of this hostility between us and God that we need Jesus to to come. That's why he died on the cross, to make peace between God and our creator, to deal with that hatred that we have in our hearts. Yet if you're sitting here today and you're still thinking, yeah, I just, I don't feel that way towards Christians, I don't feel that way towards Jesus, well, then perhaps you're closer to the kingdom of God than you realise, and I'd love to talk to you afterwards. So, let's get more practical now. We've seen that the world will hate Christians because we belong to Jesus, who the world hates, and the world hates Jesus because they hate the Father, who they do not know, but... How does this actually express itself? How does the world hate Christians? Well, Jesus gives us some ideas in the next part of today's passage. We're moving to chapter 16 now. We're going to look at verses 1 through to 4. I'll read them out for us. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. I think this makes it clear that in the first instance, Jesus is thinking about the Jews, about unbelieving Jews who will put the apostles, who are also Jews, put the apostles out of the synagogue. This is rejection. And worse than that, Unbelieving Jews will kill them and consider it an act of service to God. This is opposition. In the days of Jesus, we have to understand that the synagogue was central to Jewish life. It was an important spiritual and social centre for Jewish communities. To be put out of the synagogue was to be rejected in the deepest way possible. It would have been like shunning. And there are parallels for us today. Our faith in Jesus might cause our friends to cut off relationship with us. I mean, that happened to me in my first year as a Christian, and I'm sure it's happened to many of you too. We might find that our family rejects us. We're no longer welcome at home or no longer welcome at family dinners. We might find that friendship groups or social groups or clubs exclude us because, well, they find our Christian faith offensive. 
And this can be disorientating because often it's not because of anything that we've done, it's because we belong to Jesus, who they hate. And it's not just rejection that we'll face, there's also opposition. Jesus says that some people will kill the apostles and think they're offering up a religious service to God. In other words, some people will oppose us and think they're doing a genuinely good deed. Now, this is different to the person who's maybe been hurt by the church and lashes out against Christians in anger. You know, they might later regret their actions. We're talking about the sort of opposition that comes with no regrets. They think, you know what, Christians deserve it, that's why I'm doing it. Reminds me of the incident last year with Andrew Thorburn, who was CEO of the Essendon Football Club for a matter of hours. Thorburn is a member of City on a Hill, an Anglican church. He's not a pastor, but he's been a key leader there. And when his new job was announced, as you may know, social media lit up with quotes from old sermons from the church that highlighted the church's stance against abortion and homosexuality. He didn't preach those sermons, but it was considered guilt by association. And so Thorburn was forced to choose between his church commitments and his new job. He chose Jesus and he resigned. Now, the reason I bring this up is because what was disappointing was how the Premier of Victoria, Daniel Andrews, weighed in on the subject. Now, this is not a political comment I'm about to make. Let's hear me out and we'll look at the quote. As we might expect, uh, Daniel Andrews condemned the traditional Christian views that have been circulated. He said, those sort of attitudes are simply wrong and to dress that up as anything other than bigotry is just obviously false. But I think what really shocked me was what he said next in that same press conference. He said, and aren't we all God's children? And everyone should be treated equally. Everyone should be treated fairly. And for me, that's my Catholicism. That's my faith. You know, this is a perfect example of what Jesus is talking about. I think Daniel Andrews believed that he was offering up a religious sacrifice in service to a higher power. He was saying something, doing something for the greater good. He was making an offering to the false god of sexuality that many in our society worship. But he's also trying to make an offering to the god of the Bible. And he, th he thinks he's doing God a favour by condemning Thorburn and all those who hold to biblical ethics. He's instructing people on what true religion is, declaring, well, all people are already God's children, so, well, obviously no one needs to repent and trust in Jesus then. Opposition can come in many forms. It can be subtle and minor, or it can be overt and devastating. And we may not experience full-blown hatred from people, we will all experience rejection and opposition. Now, before we move on, I want to touch on three important points. One is that not all hatred from the world is because you're a Christian, it might just be because you're a jerk. In fact, the recent funeral of George Powell highlights how this can be complex. And I know many people here might have mixed feelings about George Powell, and that's kind of my point. An important figure in the Catholic Church, and as you may have seen in the news, there were many protesters gathered around the church during the funeral. And some of them were angry at him and the Catholic Church for child sex abuse and the cover-ups that have taken place. That's a good thing to be angry about. 
but others were angry for his position on sexual ethics. And so it's complex, isn't it? Sometimes the world will hate us for legitimate reasons because of things we've done wrong and other times the world will hate us without reason. And it may not always be easy to discern the difference. The second important point is that it's hard to discern the difference between persecution and just bad stuff happening. The world is messed up. And not every bad experience is a targeted attack on your faith. Someone rear-ends you in the car park and drives off. It may not be persecution. It may just be that that person's a bad driver. And so we need to avoid an unhealthy sense of victimhood or paranoia, which I think some Christians can fall into that trap. And the third important point is to consider what to do if you find yourself not being hated. This this might sound silly to you, but perhaps there is someone else sitting here who's thinking, well, maybe I'm not a Christian because my life goes really well. Nobody hates me. Well, if that's you, then I encourage you to consider this. Do people know that you're a Christian? You know, it may very well be that you are just so blessed that you are in a wonderful season of peace in your life. Praise God. Please don't go out and seek persecution. But Jesus said the world will hate us when they realise that we belong to Jesus. We should be known for how we love other Christians, how we love our enemies, for the fruit that we bear as we become more like Jesus, the true vine that we are connected to by faith. And so just maybe you could consider ways to make your faith more known. But you can do that in faith. And before we move on into some application, I do want to acknowledge that we have it pretty good in Australia, don't we? Yeah, Christians in other parts of the world are really doing it tough. They face real hatred, violence, even death at the hands of the world. And so I do encourage you to, to get informed about the persecuted church globally, to pray for our brothers and sisters who know that, that Jesus' words are very true for them. Having said that, though, we might feel that times are getting tougher for Christians even in Australia. Here in the inner north, we live in the most progressive areas, one of the most progressive areas in the world where Christian views on marriage and identity and sex and much more are seen not simply as outdated but now seen as harmful. So I think we do need to be prepared to live in a world where we will increasingly be viewed as the bad guys. Otherwise, we might feel defeated or tempted to give up. And that's why Jesus says what he does in verse 1, all this I've told you, so that you will not fall away. So let's think about four tips now, how to not fall away if and when the world hates us. First of all, remind each other that rejection and opposition will come. In verse 4, Jesus says, I've told you this so that when their time comes, you remember that I warned you about them. We need to speak the truth to one another. That's why I'm preaching this subject today. I'm wanting to help you to be prepared. Even Paul said to Timothy in one of his letters, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I was reflecting last Sunday when I visited our new church building over in Rossmoyne Street, thinking about how the neighbours might view us moving in when we start meeting there. 
And I imagine that some people who live in that street will be really supportive. Many will probably just be indifferent. But we need to be prepared for the fact that some of our neighbours may not want us there. They may not like having a Christian church meeting there. Some people might even hate us. And so we need to be reminding each other to not be surprised because rejection and opposition will come. I do also want to say, though, that just because we should expect hatred, it doesn't mean we're not allowed to do anything about it. That's important for you to hear as well. You know, if you're being bullied or pressured or attacked because of your faith, you are allowed to seek help. There are laws to protect you, people who can intervene on your behalf. You can speak to people at church. See, these words of Jesus are not meant to keep you trapped in a harmful situation. Okay, second tip. Second tip on how we can not fall away. It's to remember who you belong to. We will be hated because we belong to Jesus and not to the world. Our words and deeds will remind people that we are different and that we serve the God they don't like. That's important to remember because you know what it means often. It's not personal. It's not actually about you. It's about who you point them to. But it's better to belong to Jesus than to belong to the world, isn't it? The world has nothing but hollow pleasures and temporary praise to offer us. And even the world can turn on its own in an instant so that today's heroes are tomorrow's enemies. Better to belong to Jesus, who is faithful and grants us eternal life. That was a quick one. Now the third tip. The third tip is to persevere in spirit-empowered, loving witness to the world. It's a bit of a mouthful. It's not actually the, the key point of the passage, but I think it touches on wider themes that we find throughout John's Gospel. We skipped over verses 26 and 27 because I'm going to speak about the Holy Spirit next week and his role as the advocate. And we see there that there's a call to be witnesses for Christ to tell people about Jesus. And so when it comes to the world and maybe facing hatred from the world, we're not to withdraw from it but rather reach out to it. We're not to blend in so that we can avoid persecution. We're rather to be distinct from it. We're not to attack it but rather to love the world just as God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Now, if you're here today and you're in high school, I know there's a few high schoolers here today, I want you to especially listen up. Teenagers can be mean. I know because I was a teenager a long, 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 long time ago. And high school is a place where people will say horrible things about anything they can think of. But they will say horrible things about Christians, the Bible, and God. My kids come home from school and tell me the things that are said in classrooms. They're like, if it was said about any other group of people, they'd be shut down straight away. But I think Christianity is seen as fair game. And so it's important for you to remember to not take it personally. They're not attacking you. It's because of who you belong to. That's tough though, isn't it? That's why you've got to be praying for each other. We can pray to, to God for strength to be kind in the face of that sort of hatred and not cave, not give in. And all of, us, all of us need to remember that Jesus hints at something in verse 20. Have a look at verse 20. Because we'll find that not everyone will persecute us because sometimes people will believe our message and turn to Jesus. The fourth and final tip, trying to wrap it up, 
is that we need to stay connected to Jesus and his people. As Aaron reminded us last week, Jesus is the true vine, and so if we want to flourish and bear lasting fruit, we must stay connected to him. And as we do this, we should love one another just as Jesus loved us. That means talking with each other about the rejection and oppression we experience so that we can pray for one another. You may not experience hatred every day, but it will happen. And so this is an important passage for us to think about. Since we belong to Jesus, Christians should not be surprised when the unbelieving world rejects and opposes us. But Jesus will always help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son to reveal to us what you are like, who you are and what you've done for us. Please help us to keep listening to him, to trust in him if we haven't trusted in him yet, and to keep trusting in him if we have. May we not be uh, scared or frightened or surprised if tough times come, but may we know that this is part of life where we are in the world but not of the world. And so please strengthen us by faith and may we support and love one another. Amen. In a moment, we're going to sing and then we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. It's very exciting. And so that means that the children are going to be returning from their program.